and so, um, so we, we, we've been doing a lot on stewardship. We continue to do that. But I don't know if you've had a chance to read this document. It's called The Stewardship of Disciples Response. It was written in 1992 by the, the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And it's really the foundational document uh, of, to begin to understand stewardship. So if you haven't read it before, right, I invite you to pull some people from your parish together, right? Invite them to your house for chili or, or dessert, right? And just, uh, you know, a six-week study. Because it really lays the foundation of what it means to be people who are called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that stewardship is fundamentally the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we accept our lives as gifts, the Spirit can use us as instruments for spreading the gospel. For where the Spirit works, there is joy. Good stewards are always joyful bearers of the good news of salvation. And stewardship is fundamentally this relationship with the Holy Spirit who animates Christ uh, alive uh, in our hearts. And so it's, it's interesting uh, last night, you know, after the meeting, uh, I went home to St. Teresa's where I live with Father Carey, and I thought, well, what the heck, I'm going to look at my talk one more time, right? And I couldn't find my talk anywhere on the computer, right? Nowhere, right? I thought, oh my God, where the hell is it? Where? <laughs> it has to be here, right? It has to be here, right? And so I put my thumb drive again, and it, and it wasn't there, and I thought, oh my gosh, uh, well, you know, <laughs> Lord, uh, uh, where, where, where are you? So I got up, I was here about quarter to five this morning, hoping it was on my uh, computer here in the office, and it wasn't. And so I, I kind of rewrote uh, what I remembered uh, of my talk. But I remember, uh, uh, was it Thursday that we celebrated uh, the, feasts, uh, the feast day of um, Simon and Jude, right? Uh, and the, reading, from, uh, the uh, reading of the office of readings that day was from 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 4 to 1 to 16. I just want to read the first part. Uh, men should regard us as servants of Christ and as administrators of the mystery of God. The first requirement of an administrator is that he prove to be trustworthy. It matters little to me whether you or any human being uh, or human courts pass judgment on me. I do not even pass judgment on myself. A beautiful line, right? How many times are we too critical of our own hearts? Like, you idiot, how could you, where is that talk, you know, um, you know, where, where is it, you know? And I think uh, uh, my PowerPoint all of a sudden became the name of my talk, right? So I have the pictures, but I don't have the talk, right? And so it's just this sense of beating myself up, right? You know, where is it, you know? Um, and so I don't know if you have that experience in your own lives where you're too hard on yourself, Right? You're too judgmental, you're too critical of your heart. But that's a great line. Uh, Paul says, um, uh, again, um, um, I, I do not even pass judgment on myself. Mind you, I have nothing on my conscience, but that does not mean that I am declaring myself innocent. The Lord is to be the one to judge me. So stop passing judgment. Not only on ourselves, but one another, right? Because you and I are called to be these joyful bearers of the new good news of Christ. And when we become judgmental towards ourselves or others, it dams up this reservoir, right? Right? It dams up the reservoir with our own hearts. So does unforgiveness. So does resentment. So do the wounds of our hearts. And you and I as disciples, as stewardships, are called to unleash uh, this dam so the river, this reservoir can flow freely 
uh, into every part uh, of our hearts. Uh, and so, um, have you ever heard of the Rule 151? So the Rule 151 says, and, and some people might be tired of hearing of stewardship, right? Um, in our parishes, they might, might seem, well, it's just a program, right? It's an event, right? So we're gonna, we'll have that stewardship team, and then we'll move on uh, to something else. Uh, but the Rule of 151 says that how many times people need to hear something before it enters their mind and in their heart, Right? And some of the, this is what some of the studies say. It takes seven to nine times for a message to be heard through direct mail. It takes up 56 times for a message to be heard through advertising, different forms of media. It takes 151 times for a message to be heard through conversation. Right? First, 50 times people don't hear you. The second, 50 times they don't understand you. The third, 50 times they don't believe you. <laughs> right. And so I, I know this author says, from where you stand, it seems repetitive, it seems reboring, it seems bothersome. But those who want their message to be heard right, you, you have to be consistent. It, it has to be out there. So tell them, then tell them again, and tell them again. If it's your, a message is a good one, it will bear fruit, right? And so you've heard a lot about stewardship, a lot about hospitality um, the last three years, right? Kind of trying to move our stewardship from a, a, a sense of all about the money, all about the dollar, and to see it as a really a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you encounter Christ uh, and you begin to change your life, right, um, then it all belongs to him. Right? It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. It's all been gift to us. And so this title of this workshop really came out of my experience of Krakow, Poland. Um, this summer I went with 46 uh, young people uh, to Krakow, Poland. Uh, it was two years ago that we celebrated the year of consecrated life. And one of the sisters that told us to us, Sister Guadalupe, she says, Father Mark, are you taking any sisters with you to, to Poland? I said, ah, I don't think so. I never thought about that. What do you mean you haven't thought about it, right? Why don't you take a couple of religious sisters with you to Poland? So I said, I don't know if we can afford it. But anyway, we, we uh, took two uh, Salvadorians, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, with us. They lived in Rome, and they met us uh, in, uh, uh, in, um, in Poland, uh, in Warsaw, and they came down to Krakow. Uh, and, but they, were, they just added so much uh, to our pilgrimage. And two of, two of our young uh, women in our diocese, Sister Familia, uh, now was Rachel Wilhelmy, uh, and Sister uh, Profervi was Sister Amy Julian's daughter. And so that's why we went with that, that order, because they've been here a number of times. But they just added this extra dimension to our trip. They just kind of filled it out to have this these religious sisters are with us. It was a really a grueling trip. Uh, as a matter of fact, the vigil uh, itself, uh, we walked 15 miles that day. Uh, it was un unbelievable. And um, when we got to our place where we were supposed to be, right, like at 7 o'clock that night, right, my ankles were like eight times the size they should have been, right? Uh, and um, the place we were supposed to be stayed was full, 
And so we had to find a new spot. So the new spot we found was right next to the outhouses, the porta potties. <laughs> but not a bad place to be with 2.5 million people, right? <laughs> we were the first in line, right? But it got to be a bit stinky afterwards. But, but, but anyway, uh, so I took my shoes and socks off. I thought, ah, it feels so good. I just put my feet up, you know, hoping that the elevating would kind of uh, release some of the swelling, you know. And all of a sudden, Pope Francis started to speak. And this is, this is what he said. Um, first he said, dear young people, it is good to be here with you today. And then he says this, my friends, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the risk of the eternal more. Jesus is not the Lord of comfort, security, and ease. Following Jesus demands a good dose of courage, a readiness to trade in the sofa for a pair of walking shoes, to set out on a new and uncharted path, to blaze trails that open up new horizons capable of spreading joy, the joy that is born of God's love within your heart, welling up within you with every act of mercy, to taste the path of the craziness of our God, right? Our God is so crazy. Just listen to some of the stories Jim Beckman has told, right? Who, who would have thought, right? But you have to have faith that these stories are real, that it's touched his heart. This craziness of God. A God who, who teaches us to encounter him in the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the friend, the troubled, the prisoner, the refuge, the migrant, and our neighbors who feel abandoned. And so I got back from Krakow, Poland, and had a couple weeks off. And so, not weeks off, but I was working. But uh, when I got back, I, I was just praying, oh, Lord, use me, right? Use me as an instrument of your grace, as an instrument of your mercy. And then I went to Sister Joan Colby, who used to be Sister uh, uh, Crystal uh, Kerstad from Wall. Uh, and she went to University of Nebraska, right? And she encountered the Marian sisters of the Diocese of Lincoln. And they were filled with joy. And she kind of said, I want what they have. I want to know that type of joy. So at the age of 21, uh, she entered uh, the religious life, and I went to her first profession. Uh, her family invited me, uh, because they're ranchers, they invited me to a steakhouse in Lincoln, right? Uh, prime rib, Angus. The horseradish wasn't quite as good as the one at St. Martin's has, but it was good. You know, and so after this beautiful dinner with the family, I was walking back to my car, and I, and I encountered a homeless person. I thought, wow, Lord, here is my chance, right? So I kind of gave him some money. Here you go. And then I walked off, right? I didn't say anything. Can you believe it? So that night, right? Before I went to bed, I was doing the exam, you know, so I was praying, I was reviewing my day, inviting the Holy Spirit into my life that I might see the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit sees me, and you know, what are the things I'm grateful for, right? And so I just began to name them, you know, to be able just to be here with the Kerstead family, um, you know, to celebrate the good news of the diocese, of this young lady committing her life to Christ. Um, and then I, I said, you know, what are those areas that I have to ask mercy for? Right? And the Lord said, yeah, I was hoping you would bring that up. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about that. Right? And so this is what the Lord said to me in prayer. In a sense, he said, um, oh, he said in a sense, Father Mark, was that the best you could have done today, really? 
I mean, my chest got really big, like, I did something great, right? But the Lord said, you know, I was hoping you would do something like this. Hey, how are you? What is your name? Tell me your story. <clears throat> when was the last time this person was called by name? Right? Everyone just walks by the homeless, the beggar, the needy. Here's some money. But that's not what the Lord was asking me to do. He wanted me to be in a relationship with this person for five or ten minutes. Just to be with him. Because he has a name. And he has a story. And the Lord knows his story. The Lord knows his hurts. The Lord knows his wounds. The Lord knows his disappointments. The Lord wanted me to know them. And the only way I'm going to do that is to sit down to have a conversation. So I don't know if you prayed the examine or not, that we're talking about generous hospitality and we're talking about lively faith. So this is really what happened to me, right? That night when I went to bed, I did the examine. And I just want you to, I just want to go over this with you real quick. I'm just going to just pass those out. A good Jesuit practice, right? I mean, some of the Jesuits are here today. They talk more eloquent than I can about it. This one of the practices I, I begin, I begin to, to, to pray with. You know, the examine, the method every day of just reviewing the presence of God in your life, right? That this God is alive, right? Crucified and risen for us, right? Uh, he, he's alive. He has space in our hearts. That beautiful story that Jim Beckman told, right? Of his eight-year-old son that actually heard Jesus speak to him, right? When was the last time that you heard Christ speak to you in that way, right? And so you just ask for light. I want to look at my day with not my eyes, Right? Because when I look at my day with my eyes, I begin to judge myself. Right? In 1 Corinthians, I started out with, right? Dude, I don't even judge myself. I'm going to allow the Lord to do the judging. Not merely my own. Give thanks. The day I have just lived as a gift from God, be grateful for it. So again, tonight when you go home, you know, begin to do this prayer every night before you go to bed. Ignatius often did it uh, two or three times uh, a day. And, and this was, right, he, you would never skip this, right? In the Constitution, he says to the members of society, if you, if you have to forego everything, any other prayer, do not skip it. But he also says don't spend more than 15 minutes on it. Right, so it's just kind of a quick, a quick prayer. And then, then review your day. I carefully look back on the day that just completed being guided by the Holy Spirit, right? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Invite the Holy Spirit into this prayer conversation. And then face your shortcomings. And that's when I heard the Lord say, Father Mark, really, was that the best you could do? Was just to give some money and walk off? And then you simply ask for mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And then look toward the day to come. Where, where I ask where I need God's in the next day to come. Lord, I will do better tomorrow. I will do better tomorrow. 
So again, this is just a great prayer as we talk about generous hospitality, lively faith. I think that's important. Pope Francis goes on to say, uh, to challenge our comfortability, uh, to be happy, all we need is a good sofa, a sofa that makes you feel comfortable, calm, safe, a sofa like the ones we have nowadays with built-in massage units that put us to sleep, right? (laughs) A sofa that promises us hours of comfort so that we can escape the world of video games into TV and spend all kinds of time on the computer screen and social media. A sofa that keeps us safe from any kind of pain and fear. A sofa that allows us to stay without needing to work or worrying about anything. A sof- this type of sofa happiness, Pope Francis says, is the most harmful and insidious form of paralysis. How much time do you spend just clicking the channel? Facebook, social media, right? He says this is what paralyzes us. So I'm encouraging to trade in your sofa for a pair of walking shoes because the Holy Spirit will lead you to places that you have never imagined. You know, I, I, love, I, I love this prayer to know my own vocation. Um, my Lord and my God, you are love itself, the source of all love and goodness. Out of love you created me to know you, to love you, and to serve you in a unique way as no one else can. I believe that you have a plan for my life, that you have a mission in your kingdom reserved for me alone, that even if you've already discovered your particular vocation as married people or single, right, that God still has a plan for you, right? There's something that he has in store for you. Maybe it's there, right, that only you can accomplish. He set aside for you alone in a very unique way that only you can accomplish that. And it is in that unique gift that you have been given that He unites our gifts together to build up the body of Christ, the church. To heal, to restore, to set captives free. I believe that you, God, have a plan for my life and that you have a mission in your kingdom reserved for me alone. Your plan and your mission are far better than any other I might choose. Right? I will glorify you, fulfill the desires, you will fill the desires of my heart and bring salvation to those souls who are depending on my generous response. This homeless man was, re- was waiting for me to have a conversation with him. He was waiting for me. The Lord wanted to put me in connection with Him. And bring salvation to those souls who are depending on my generous response. Who are the souls in your life that are depending on your generous response? A generous yes. Maybe it's a phone call. Right? I know I should spend more time with my mother, and when I know I don't, she calls me. (laughs) Hey, just check it up on you. How are you doing? Right? She shouldn't need to call me, right? To honor our parents, right? But when I'm not doing it, she calls me out. I see my mom on the, the, whatever, you know. I say, ah, (laughs) I need to get my butt over there, right? I need to spend time with her. I need to play solitaire with her. 
And, and so I just wanted to click through these slides real quick. Is it working? Ah, I'm not very good with these clickers. Ah, okay, here we go. So Justin's for hospitality, right? Name tags for greeters, information team greeters, ask names for those who don't know, priests acknowledge uh, visitors, choose people to bring up gifts. You know, this is the thing that frustrates the heck out of Bishop Cruz uh, as he goes from parish to parish because he's been preaching it, uh, but I, apparently it, 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 he's, it, it, he hasn't done it 151 times yet. Uh, <laughs> because he, he says, you know, why do the ushers have to keep bringing up the gifts? You know, a blessed sacrament, one lady said, Julie Bernard, who's giving a workshop here, she said, uh, when I'm an usher, I know I have to find someone to bring up the gifts. And they, um, and I get turned down tons of times each Sunday. But I just keep going to the next person. Would you like to bring up the gifts? But it's just easy for the ushers to do it, right? The same ushers to pass out the baskets, right? To bring up the gifts. You know, something happened to me this morning. Uh, I wasn't sure how many priests were there. And so Father Grant was at Mass, and I was going to preside at morning prayer. I said, Father Grant, would you preside at morning prayer? Right. Would you preside at morning prayer? Would you be the presider today? You know, in a sense that we're called to constantly bring people uh, into the fold uh, of, our, of, our, of, our, of our time uh, together. Tell people to find worship aids, prayers, hospitality message uh, at every uh, Mass. Uh, sit in a different area. I know a cathedral, their hospitality uh, team, if they sat on the right, they went to the left, right? And they just sat with different people. And they had wonderful conversations. You know, are you new to the parish? I haven't seen you here before, right? Um, but, but all of this stuff is kind of simple. But there's something more to hospitality than this, right? But we have to start somewhere, right? We have to tar- start somewhere. But the Lord is inviting us to go deeper. And so it's important for us to understand um, what do we mean by hospitality? Uh, And so it it comes from a a Latin word, hostis, which means stranger or enemy. And then we get the word hospitum, uh, Latin for guest or host. And so you can combine these two words of hospice and hospitum, um, we get the word hospital. We get the word host, hostel. Hotel, hospitality. So hospitals were, in a sense, or hospice were a reception place for travelers, to shrines, going to the Holy Land. And the term later became associated with charitable organizations of working with the elderly, the infirm, uh, children, uh, orphanages. And our current meeting of hospitality is a friendly reception, a a generous treatment of guests or strangers. And so if you look at this worldview in the Old Testament, as they look at this biblical worldview of the word uh, hospitality, um, it's not even, hospitality is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but we know it runs throughout it, right? And hospitality in the biblical times was receiving outsiders and changing them from strangers to guests. It was different than eating with family and friends. So hospitality was, it was changing the person's heart from a stranger to a guest. 
Think of that story that Jim Beckman told today, right? Of Moses fleeing Egypt, right? After he killed uh, the, uh, the Egyptian slave because he was too hard, right? And then the next day, the Hebrew said, slave, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian, right? And then that's when Moses fled to Midian, right? And that's where he encounters uh, his wife. And that's where he encounters Jethro. The daughters of Jethro, priests of Midian, tell their father that Moses helped them. He aided them. He protected them. And he replies, and where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Go get him. I mean, just don't let, let him sit there, right? And so they bring him back and they have hospitality. I read this quote. It is unlikely that you will ever have to be hospitable like Jethro, who also gave a daughter to, a Mo to Moses and his wife. But this was not extreme. And I thought about this. I don't know if you ever heard of the Mothers of Lou, Italy. It's a small village in northern Italy. It's a, a village of about 1,800 people. 1,800 people. And since 1881, there's a group of mothers in Italy who meet every Tuesday to pray for vocations to priesthood and religious life. Every Tuesday. Been doing that since 1881. Out of that village, since 1881, 323 vocations, 152 priests, 171 nuns belonging to 41 different congregations. The mothers of Lou have made a decision that literally changed the face of their community in the church forever. The mother of Lou had a deep desire that one of their sons would become a priest or one of their daughters would become a religious sister, placing their lives completely in God's service. The mothers of Lou, under the direction of their parish priest, would gather again every Tuesday for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and then ask the Lord for vocations. The mothers of Lou would receive on the first Sunday of every month, they would go to Mass, and their intention would be that our sons would become priests, that our daughters would become nuns, our daughters would become sisters. And this is the prayer they used to pray. O oh God, grant that one of my sons may become a priest. I myself want to live as a good Christian I want to guide my children always to do what is right so that I may receive the grace of God and be allowed to give a holy priest. Right? That quote I, I just read, right? Now, it is unlikely you will have to be hospitable as Jethro to offer his daughter to Moses. Father Steve Bigler, um, he said, this is the way we should pray our vocation prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of the Eternal Father, Mary Immaculate, grant to our young people the generosity necessary to follow your call and give, give uh, the courage to require to come all obstacles to their vocation. Give me, right? It says parents, right? That uh, your, It's okay if your son becomes a priest, right? That's great. I'm all about that, right? right? But he says, what if we change the prayer? Give me, right? Give me. Me personally, the faith and love and spirit and sacrifice that will inspire me to offer my children to God's service and to rejoice when every one of my children is called to the priesthood and religious life. Right? You know what they say? I read a study in, in 19, uh, 2012 
uh, which says that um, that only 14% of priests actually have intentional conversations with young men in their parish about being called to priesthood. You know, for many of my years as priests, I would just say, ah, you look, or, well, I'll go over here, right? <laughs> you look good in a collar, right? That was about it, right? That was about it. But when my heart caught on fire because of our Blessed Mother Mary, who led me to her son, who filled me with the Spirit, I began to have real and intentional conversations with young men. I would take them out to eat. We would go to movies. And I would always ask them, what is the Lord Jesus Christ doing in your life? Do you hear him speak to you? You know, when we were backpacking in the Bighorn Mountains uh, 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 two years ago, uh, I was carrying these, uh, you know, we, went, we hiked in eight miles that day. And uh, uh, so one, of, one by one, the kids would fall back and they would say, oh, Father, that backpack looks heavy. Can I help you? He said, no, I got it, you know. I'm just a steady mule. Don't worry about me, right? And I would I'd be going up 52 years old, right, you know. Uh, and then we would just be walking in silence, and then I'd say, well, uh, tell me where the Lord is in your life. He gets this, like, look, like, crap, I should have stayed at the front of the line. <laughs> I should have stayed at the front of the line. But the fact is that only 5% of fathers actually have a one-on-one conversation with their son about priesthood. If Jesus was calling you to be a priest, would you consider the possibility? Mothers do it 10% of the time. Youth ministers, campus ministers do it 2% of the time. And so I, there's no vocation crisis within our church. It's just simply that we're not asking and inviting young men and women to consider this way of life. I was golfing um, in August with the golf tournament, Right? And some of you have heard this story, but it's a good story. I love to tell it. Uh, but this, I was paired with this young high school kid, right? He says, uh, are you a priest? I said, yeah, yeah. Who are you? I said, Father Mark. I said, I said, what parish do you belong to? I said, I'm not in a parish. So well, what do you do then? I said, I'm the vocation director. He says, oh, crap. <laughs> I don't want to hear any Jesus talk, right? Right? It's about the fifth hole, you know. So tell me what the Lord's doing in your life. I told you. I, I, I'm not going down that road. I said, well, but he said, look, Father. I'm going to SDSU. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a family. I said, that's great, but that's not what I asked you. I just want to know where the Lord's in your life. The more we talked, I said, if Jesus is calling you to a priesthood, would you consider the possibility? And at this point in his life, he said, no, I would not. See, I have my life all planned out. He said, maybe just ask, right? Lord, if, if you want me to do this, I, I want to be open, right? But the beautiful story that Jim Beckman told about his son. Man, when I get married, I want to do this with my son. But for a father to sit down with his boy and have this incredible conversation of faith, amazing thing. But I, I met a young a man in, in one of the parishes I served at. His son left the Catholic Church for the Evangelical Church. Because he, even though 
His dad went to Mass every day, every Sunday. He wanted to have a, a, a conversation with his dad. Dad, tell me about Jesus. And all his dad could say was, I go to Mass every Sunday. I know, Dad, but is there something more? The father didn't have an answer. But when the father's heart changed, he went to this thing called That Man Is You. And after 18 lessons, he would sit down with his wife on a Tuesday evening and he could hardly wait for dinner conversation. Because the wife would say, here, have more potatoes. He said, I don't want potatoes. I want to talk to what Jesus is doing in my life. Can you imagine what that conversation did to the marital relationship? Right, but it, it, so hospitality is really making ourselves generous. It, it's more than the name tag. It, it begins there. But the Lord wants us to move us to a deeper place, a different place. So in, in the New Testament, right? Hospitality is, is making... It is, it is making people who feel like strangers that they belong. You know, Matthew 10, 13. Uh, take no bag for your journey, an extra tunic. We know that story. As you enter a home, give it, give it your greeting. Right? Sister Jackie told, uh, who's up in McLaughlin, uh, um, Sister Jackie Schrader tells this story. She had a similar experience of me, uh, of wanting to... Um, what do I do when I, when I cross a beggar? Lord, what, what do you want me to do? I, what, what, what should I do? Uh, and the Lord said, um, ask the person for God's blessing. So she's in Burger King, right? She meets a homeless man out there, right? So she brings him in, and he buys him a meal. And then Jackie said, now, you could do something for me. He said, what can I do for you? You just bought me a meal. And Sister Jackie said, will you bless me? And the man said, God bless you. So it was this dialogue, it was this relationship. You know, when I was in, when I was in, um, Okay, okay. So, um, okay, I won't be, okay, anyway, I hope it comes up. I got to be patient, all right? It's a great slide. Oh, but anyway, so um, I, I was in Rome uh, in September, and there was just a lot of, lot of poor people that were constantly begging, begging. I was just over, I kind of wrote it in my musing, I was just overwhelmed uh, by it. You know, what, what do I do? Um, you know, do I give every person I see money? And, and then I was uh, actually in the church of St. Saint, uh, Philip Neri. So I would visit these different churches for about a half hour or so. 
And I would just pray, if there was a saint buried there, I would look up their name on Google, and I, and I, would, uh, I would just read about them. And so, um, so, so I was really praying, Lord, man, there's so many people all over the streets asking for money. Do you, what do I do? I was just overwhelmed by it. And so I was asking for this intercession of St. Philip Neri, and I was uh, um, sitting at the church name for him and praying, and I came across this quote by Jonathan uh, Rumsberg, um, who was writing on Catholic Exchange. He says, In giving alms to the poor, we must act as good ministers of the providence of God. That's Philip Neri. And then he goes on to say that the poverty of this modern world is moral, not material. The Apostles, the, the, the apostles Catechism, the Didache, extorts, let, that, let alms perspire in the palm of your hand until you know how to give. It's a wonderful image, right? Like the, the poor man, right? I, I just thought I, I had to give it to him, right? Trying to settle my own need, right? You know, Bill Creed, who's a Jesuit priest, my spiritual director, who works with the homeless in Chicago, the homeless tell him that's one thing we don't need. Stop giving us money, right? Because when you give us money, we use it for alcohol, we use it for drugs. So it's just this wonderful image. Let us... Let the alms perspire in your palm until you know whom to give. Too often we imprudently give material succor without the results that enable unvirtuous habits. What is needed is to help recover the image of Christ on our neighbor's heart in an invitation of St. Peter in the Acts of the Apostles. Silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give. Loving our neighbor is spiritual first, providing material aid, though necessary, and these times requires holy discernment. This quote really struck me. And so when I would incur, when I would in, did you get it? Oh, not nice. oh, Beautiful. Is it good? Nice. What's that? Just hit me this little arrow. Okay, okay, nice. Okay. So uh, this is a beautiful picture I, I want to talk about. Um, that, um, so every time I, I, would, I would pass a, a beggar in Rome, I would just stop and I would pause. And I would just pray, Dear Lord Jesus, well, what do you want me to do for this person? Do you want me to pray with them? Do you want me to buy them something? Or, or what do you want me to do? And usually I just prayed for them, right? And then I moved on. And my heart was at peace. And then one time there was a beggar who was really... There, he, there was an, it just had been raining for this, this huge puddle, Right? And then there's an ice cream cone in the puddle. And then he just picked it up and ate it. I thought, oh Lord, what do you want me to do now, right? Uh, and, but that man, I, I ran back to him. I said, here, you know, he didn't speak English, but, um, but I gave him some money. Uh, but here's a gal uh, who, who's begging uh, uh, every day. This is, I think, at the St. Ignatius Church in Rome. So I would go there and I would just pray. I would see her every day. Right? Sometimes I try to skirt her around and go to another door, right? I mean, it's part of human. It, 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 I mean, it, it, this work of stewardship, this generous hospitality gets to the heart of who we are. And so name tags and all that stuff is important and it begins there. But, but, but the key uh, of hospitality runs much, much deeper. 
And so the last day in Rome, this is what I encountered at the same church. Maybe it just maybe it doesn't like my finger, right? Mark, could I make a couple statements? Yeah, yeah, just after, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So this is actually what I wanted to do. Right? Mm -hmm. Just to sit with this person Mm -hmm. and just to visit. Just to be with the person. Right? That's what was on my heart the whole time. I had a chance in August to do it. Right? I'm glad the Lord gives us a lot of chances. <laughs> so, so again, understanding um, uh, the, 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 the now, then I'll, I'll shut up. Um, understanding this, uh, this hospitality. Um, hospitality is making strangers into guests, right? Um, it's making. People feel that they, they matter. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, um, the, 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 uh, where is it? There's a great, great quote that, that's in one of the, uh, the, the translations that hospitality uh, is really used, um, it means to pursue, right? Most of the time we wait for things to happen, right? But we're called to be people of action. I wish I could... Um... Oh, anyway, so... Um... <coughs> we just think if we were to pursue one another, pursue the lonely, to pursue um, the abandoned, to pursue the sick, to pursue the orphans, Right? We were every day to ask, Lord, well, what do you want me to do, right? I'm pretty dang comfortable in this chair and this sofa, right? I just can be here all day long, right? But that's what Pope Francis tells us, right? Especially to us priests, you know? He challenges the hell about us priests, right? Get out of the rectory. Smell like the sheep. Stop collecting novelties, right? Stop collecting antiques, because the priest that I know who Pope Francis says does that, they're very sad. There's an emptiness in it. There's not much of a joy. So even as a priest, Pope Francis challenges me. You've been chosen, been called to be a priest of Jesus Christ, the Most High. Right? So, so, I mean, that's that's hospitality. It's, It's leaving your mark on the world, right? Because God has a plan just for you. And only that you can accomplish. And when you accomplish it, you will leave your mark. And you will change hearts and souls. The Teresa Valva says, I have no hands, but Christ, I have no body, but Christ, I have no heart, but Christ. I have no legs, but Christ. I have no feet, but Christ. She said, you are the body of Christ. You are my body. It begins with love on the cross. It begins with conversation. It begins with a relationship. You know, they have a beautiful image of, of Teresa of Avila going up the staircase. And in vision, she meets this little child. Right? And um, 
she asked the, uh, the uh, how's it go? She asked the the child asks her who she is, and she says, uh, "I'm Teresa of Jesus." And uh, so she asked the little boy, and, "And who are you?" And she says, "I'm Jesus of Teresa." <laughs> right? A powerful image. <laughs> powerful image. So we just have a. Um, so I just end with a glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.